think I began to see my work as more important and not just as a, a means to an end, but, but really seeing that God intends for um, there to be doctors and lawyers and mechanics and engineers. Welcome to The Weekly. My name is Trevor Hoffman. I'm one of the pastors at the Church of Beer Station, your host for today. And joined, uh, joining with me today is Jimothy Slice. Hello, hello. Good Jim, to see you again. Jimothy, that's your full name, right? Jimothy, yeah. Jimothy Christophius uh, Slice-mas. Slice, yeah, Slice-mania. Sorry. Excellent. I got nothing else. Go on. <laughs> Slice-mania. <laughs> that's the Latinization of, uh, yeah. Um, if we were to immigrate to um, Rome, to Italy, um, that's what the immigration office would change our names to. So Okay, good to know. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jim. Um, what do you do for a living? Are you married? Do you have any children? Yeah. Um, well, I'm an electrical engineer by trade and uh, married to Kayla. Um, we've been married for a little more than four years. And um, we have one um, really fun daughter uh, named Lula Kate, and she'll be two at the end of this month um, of October. So um, that's kind of the quick bio, quick biographical details. Of Jimotheus. Of Jimotheus, yeah. Christoph, yeah. Excellent. I should probably write that down so I can be more consistent about it in the future. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Jim, what is your favorite Tom Hanks movie? My favorite Tom Hanks movie. Oh, gosh. Um, I want to think of something like, you know, kind of off the beaten path. Have you ever seen Joe versus the Volcano? I have not seen Joe. You have not seen it. Okay. Well, it has the distinction of being the first um, of three collaborative projects between Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Um, And interestingly, in that movie, uh, Joe um, is a hypochondriac who is diagnosed with a terminal disease and a, um, uh, a wealthy industrialist comes to him and says, hey, tell you what, like, I'm gonna make the last months of your life super comfortable if you will jump into a volcano at the end of your life in order to secure mining rights on this Pacific island. And um, he agrees to it and, and goes out there and um, it sounds pretty dark, but it's actually a comedy. Um, Interesting. And, and he meets three women, all played by Meg Ryan. Um, and yeah, great movie, absolutely wonderful. Is this an '80s movie? I feel like I've seen like, maybe the cover. Late '80s, early '90s. Okay. I, I couldn't tell you without looking at IMDb. Um, but but yeah, during that um, four-year time range between like '88 and '92. Cool. Pre Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. Pre-Forrest Gump. Pre- Pre-Oscars. Pre- um, Toy Story. Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Toy Story. Toy Story was like 95. Sure. Okay. Yeah, so today, um, other than Tom Hanks films, I've, I've asked Jim to come on and to discuss the relationship between faith and work. What does it mean to be a disciple in the workplace? So, Jim, um, how did you get into electrical engineering? What were the events that precipitated you kind of waking up one morning and finding yourself working for Duke Energy? Yeah. Um, well, um, I think that, you know, I, I was trying to decide what to do with my life and looking for a, a trade to practice um, and knew that I had a pretty strong background in mathematics and science and, um, you know, saw electrical engineering as 
as one of the possibilities. Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I had like a, a lifelong passion for transistors and power supplies, but um, but like saw it as an option and, and ultimately decided it was a you know a strong option and, and went that direction. Um, went to Clemson, got a, a bachelor's of science in electrical engineering, and um, you know wanted to work in a fairly stable um, field you know, and power utilities being something that's conceivably going to be around for, you know, some time to come. And so, so yeah, that, that, that was kind of the path in a, um, in kind of broad strokes. Yeah. Excellent. So typically when you think about, um, bringing your faith into your work, we, we, there's certain careers that's kind of an obvious, uh, there's an obvious relationship there, like being in ministry, for instance, or, um, doing any kind of mission work or whatever. Um, how, in your particular field, how do you kind of bring those worlds together? Like, how, how does your discipleship inform the way that you work, particularly as an electrical engineer? Right, right. Um, I think it, it starts with coming to see um, electrical engineering as, as a calling, um, as a vocation, you know. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to be borrowing heavily from um, the work of a you know another pastor named Bob Thune, um, you know he points out that vocation um, is is basically Latin for calling, um, and you know rec- once I recognize that and recognize that um, God intends for there to be electrical engineers um, amongst other things, um, you know I, I think I began to see my work as more important. And not just as a, a means to an end of giving to the church and you know taking care of my basic needs and paying for vacation and so on and so forth, um, but but really seeing that God intends for um, there to be doctors and mm-hmm. lawyers and mechanics and engineers um, and housewives and um, you know every other profession that you know, serves a, a good purpose for um, the culture that it exists in and it meets the needs of some of the people in that culture. Yeah, so you, so being an electrical engineer isn't just a necessary evil. It's not like just something to hold right, you over right. in the meantime until Jesus returns. Right, right. And um, and again, like, you know, referring back that, you know, you know this guy, Bob Thune, had written a series of um, articles or, or blog posts um, regarding work and theology and um, you know had, had pointed out you know quoted his or, or I guess had quoted one of his seminary professors saying that um, it was God's intent for Adam and Eve to split the atom the A-T-O-M atom hmm. um, and you know saying that even before the fall um, God uh, gave you know, to Adam and Eve um, a mandate, you know, sometimes called the cultural mandate, to have dominion over the earth, have dominion over the creatures on the earth, and um, you know the way this this seminary professor and this pastor understand that is that it all moves towards culture, um, and that uh, the redeemed um, culmination of the Bible is not a return to um, you know sort of a noble savage in the garden. Um, like Adam and Eve, um, but really culminates in a city. 
um, the city of God, you know, described in the last couple chapters of Revelation. And, um, you know, so recognizes all of the um, elements of culture that um, go into city building and civilization building and um, providing for the needs of that, that civilization as being part of God's good work for his creation. Um, and so, you know, both, uh, you know, the redeemed and, um, and the lost, you know, participate in that work to, you know, varying degrees. And the redeemed can participate in it um, with a sense of purpose and understanding that, um, that God wants there to be electricity. Um, there are probably professions that you might kind of question, like I'm not really sure how this contributes, um, but in general, um, it's all part of God's purposes and plans for creation. Man, that's really good. Uh, you know, typically, or maybe sometimes we think about God's, the creation of the garden, and it's kind of thought of as this uh, paradise that we long for. And like you said, we, maybe we have some kind of like noble savage um, uh, images in our mind, kind of longing for that uh, um, return to that kind of version of paradise. But actually... I think we're intended to see that in the that the world is created almost in a like a childlike fashion, and that like the the way that the world, the natural world, planet Earth matures is through the intervention and cultivation um, by God's image bearers. Mm-hmm. That in mm-hmm. in in bearing God's image and, and exercising dominion over creation, we're, we're pulling out and like teasing out all of the latent potential that God wove into the world. Yeah, and we imitate him, um, you know, in doing that. I mean, he he builds, he creates, um, he constructs, um, you know, our bodies and um, you know the world, the cosmos that we live in, um, and we build upon that foundation um, by learning to like how that that creation works and being able to. Um, I'm tempted to use the word manipulate, but that has like a negative connotation, but to um, be able to harness um, the characteristics of that creation so as to, um, yeah, release that potential and um, and make something even more complex um, that God foresaw, you know, and, and you know, create, place that potential there for us to, um, you know, take advantage of. Yeah, I, I think manipulate and exploit are two words that come to my mind, and they have mm-hmm. negative connotations. But I think both capture the intent behind, um, or, or capture, I guess, the idea present in exercising dominion that God gave us grapes so that we could invent wine, so mm-hmm. to speak. I thought you missed said the word grace for a second there, and I was like, <laughs> grapes <laughs> are grace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the graciousness of God to, um, towards sinners, but. Uh, no, you meant to say grapes. My bad. <laughs> yes, something like that. Um, so, how did you how did you come to this particular understanding of of work as more than just a necessary evil, as more than just a thing to make money to feed you and hold you over until Jesus returns? Um, how did you begin to understand? Like, what what were what influences were there um, that that kind of helped you arrive at this fuller, more complete perspective on work? Yeah, well, um, you know, when I got out of college, I, I you know, I wouldn't say I um, had this fully formed view um, yet, but when I got out of college, 
um, you know, I, I was looking for a profession or looking for a job and, um, you know, found a place at Duke Energy. And I, I would say for the first several years, um, experienced um, a fair amount of frustration. Um, you know, there, there are good folks there, but um, because of the nature of the work, um, it's a nuclear power plant and things move very slowly. Um, there, are, there are a lot of inefficiencies. Um, sometimes that's by design uh, that um, we don't want to um, make changes to our plants before we fully understand all the ramifications. Um, we want to operate in like a safe, you know, reliable way because it's nuclear power. Um, and so that's, that's good, um, but it can have a toll, it take a toll on, you know, your emotions and your psyche and, and just saying like, you know, what am I doing? Like, you know, I, I strive and strive to, you know, accomplish the objectives that have been placed before me, but I'm seem to be working against other departments who are pushing towards other objectives. And, um, you know, it, it can be really frustrating. And, I, you know, gosh, it seems like 97% of engineers are at least church going folk. Um, and a good many of them, I, you know, I, I would say are, are definitely genuine Christians. Um, but even amongst them, you know, there was a very uh, defeatist attitude, um, just a, uh, you know, what seemed like a real morale issue um, and lots of complaining. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, one guy, you know, I, you know, I think is a, was a great engineer. I mean, he said to me, like, one day when I was, I was pretty frustrated and it was showing, he said, Hey, you know, we don't, uh, live to work. We work to live. And, you know, for him, it was very much a, um, means to an end. He had a couple of kids and a wife and, um, you know, he was providing for them and, you know, living life with them. And, you know, he had to come to work, you know, for, you know, the work week in order to, you know, to get the means to accomplish those other objectives. Um, you know, that really brought me down. And, you know, I mentioned before, um, this pastor Bob Thune, you know, had written this series of articles and finally, like in, around 2011, I stumbled across those, um, through the gospel coalition's website and read through them and, um, and really, gosh, like it was, I mean, like a pretty significant awakening. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are always those times where we hear like a word of encouragement. We're like, yeah, I know that's true. That's good to be reminded about. And then there are some moments, a few, you know, fewer moments in life where you're exposed to something. And it's such a paradigm shift um, that it has the power to, you know, to, to really influence um, your life in like a pretty significant way. And, mm. you know, seeing these things, you know, seeing um, that my job was a calling from God. Um, seeing that, yes, like we work in a fallen world, um, but, um, you know, the calling is from before the fall. And so we have to like, to deal with the ramifications of sin, um, but, but recognize there's like a, a purpose um, in, you know, God's providence and that it, and it extends just beyond providing a paycheck um, or even, and even beyond like good things like, providing a mission field and providing um, 
you know, opportunities to serve other believers. Like those are all good things, but also the work itself um, being something of, you know, significant value to God. That's good. You, you bring up several really good points there. You know, one of them being that after the fall, there is a change in our relationship to creation itself, and that has implications for our work. Right. And it's that work is now, instead of the ground, like freely yielding abundance and fruit for us as humans, now we work by the sweat of our brow, and now we're dealing with thorns and, and complications and complexities across different compartments in a large organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's now part of, um, uh, part of the reality of, of, of working mm-hmm. um, and um, having the ability to recognize that and recognize that um, uh, work has been um, affected by the fall um, and that Jesus does give us the resource to be able to push through those, those difficulties. I think that's a really helpful point that you make there. And another really helpful point that you made was um, that working... Um, it, Sometimes we think about faith and work or the integration of faith and work as like, I need to do a Bible study on my lunch break, or I need to use this as a platform to evangelize my coworkers, which yeah. is great. 100% true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we can have a, a Bible study at our workplace and God has gifted us to do that, then by all means do that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying that's really, really helpful is that we need to see that the work itself is God honoring that yeah. by, by being productive and by be, doing good work. And, and doing work that contributes to the common good of mm-hmm. society. We are, that is that itself is honoring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what what encouragement would you have for someone who's listening to this? Um, they, they want to think well about their discipleship as it relates to their work. Um, what, what specific ways would you encourage them? Um, well, again, I, you know, I'm going to refer back to, you know, that series of blog posts and give some practical advice and... Um, first thing is, is work hard. Um, you know, if we desperately want to see our coworkers saved, um, but we have a habit of showing up to work late, um, you know, people are going to be annoyed and um, our witness will be compromised. Um, if we do low quality work um, that, you know, requires constant re- correction or, you know, we, um, you know, kind of slow roll our work, you know, and, and try not to... Um, you know, produce too much too quickly. Um, it just, you know, because we're tempted to be lazy. Um, you know, all those things, you know, they, they reflect on Jesus Christ if, if we've spoken his name to the people we work with. So work hard, work is unto the Lord. Um, going back to what we were saying before about working in a fallen world, we don't expect life to be peachy. Um, you know, we're, we're hopeful people um, who, um, are joyful, um, but I think we also have a realistic view of the world, um, a realistic view of ourselves. Like we recognize our own sinful tendencies, we recognize the sinful tendencies of others. Um, you know, we don't uh, sort of engage in like kind of a mindless optimism, just like you know, and you know, even careful in, in how we um, interact with others as they express frustration and not say like, mm. it's not so bad, you know, buck up, you'll be, you know, you'll be okay. Like, um, but really recognizing the, the reality of their frustrations and like, and, and thinking hard about, um, how to be constructive in the midst of that. Um, number three, like a, 
I think it's important to remember the Sabbath um, and, you know, not a strict Sabbatarian, um, you know, by any means, but um, there has to be some rest. And um, it's something that I still struggle with and, and not even necessarily because I'm a workaholic. I'm definitely not a workaholic. Um, my struggles go more in the other direction, in fact. Um, but because, like, how to rest constructively in a way that, like, knows what rest is for, knows the rest is, is repairing me, like, preparing me to return to the work at hand. Um, I think of the... the the, f- the term recreation that we yeah. used to describe like hobbies recreation and recreation yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's we're being recreated for the purpose of re-engaging at work right right um so if you do i would love to hear the podcast that you do on that i'm, I'm <laughs> eagerly awaiting that um you know the fourth re- and then you know there's a, a fourth recommendation um learn to pray the lord's prayer um the the idea idea being that when we pray um, we should pray for the things that we need and that we want um, but if we have like a view that is exclusively shaped by those concerns um, then it's not the view of, of the Bible mm. um, and so the Lord's Prayer is like is especially good for having a perspective of um, the Lord's kingdom coming the Lord's willing, will being done um, the the honor the majesty of his name um, the like the reference to our needs in, in like kind of simple terms like um, and and then a remembrance like of just the power of temptation and um, asking to be um, delivered from evil um, so you know all these things, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in that way because it, not because it's a magic formula, but because it, it's paradigm shaping. It, mm. it um, puts priorities in the right place. Um, and we should learn to pray in that, that way as well. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time, man, yeah. coming out this afternoon and recording and providing some insight. This is a topic that is worth exploring and considering uh, at length. Um, in the show notes, I'm going to have a couple of, uh, I'm going to have the article that Jim mentioned linked there. I also have a book or two that's, that's worth checking out um, if you're interested in learning more about this. And Jim, maybe, maybe we'll uh, talk about doing a rest episode in the near future. Surely, you, you've got some yeah, good things to say to that. Uh, maybe. Can I ask the questions and you give the answers that time? <laughs> or, um, it doesn't work that way. Okay. I'm the host. My Jim. bad. My bad. Well, thanks for listening. We will talk with you next time. Grace and peace to you.